mother screeching. All Hello, Need. Oh, sorry. Okay. All quiet. <laughs> the leader is to speak. Polonies, Omnis, Omnipolonies, and ACDC. Ladies, gentlemen, gay persons, bisexuals. Proud to bother you. And how juiced and dolly you all look. Wonderful to look at you all and see how super you look. Fortuny. Gorgeous. <laughs> Nancy, a hairpin out of place, a smile on every eek. All interested and with a smile on every face. Welcome to this fantabulosa Latte for this little screech on Polari, better known as God's own vernacular or girl. Welcome to this wonderful building for our little talk on Polari, better known as God's own vernacular. Go. Talking of Polari, it's great change not to have Lily Ajax for Aunt Nell. Talking of Polari, it's a change not to have the police close and listening. <laughs> have a boner cackle. Have a super talk. Get me a beer later. I have the denari. Get me a gin later. <laughs> I have the cash. <laughs> so, for those of you that didn't know, that was Polari, which was a language used um, by homosexuals. Um, also by um, prostitutes, travellers. It's kind of it's used different places, the east end of London, west end of London, it changes slightly. Um, it wasn't used that much in Norfolk, perhaps. Um, only maybe between people that have been to London, had contact with London, knew a little bit. Most people know a little bit of Polari, but thank you to Roger Smith for giving me that. <laughs> um, we're going to start off, we're going to try and move around the county. And we're going to start in the west. You're, um, I'm, I'm basing mine on my oral histories that I've recorded as part of my master's degree. So, and also the things we found in local gay press or even just the local press um, to do with Norfolk. So um, we'll start off, I think, in Sandringham. So what, what's clear about Sandringham Rural? Um, I think Lady Queen. Diana. <laughs> yeah, the, the Queen of Hearts, Lady Diana. We'll start with her, shall we? Um, so she was the first, one of the first, to sit um, sort of the AIDS crisis. When that first came, <coughs> younger people might not know this, older people might know this, um, no one really knew what AIDS was. Isolation, people had to be covered in plastic, they had to have masks on, they had to wear gloves because no one knew how it was transmitted. Um, but Lady Diana sat down um, on one AIDS victim's bed without gloves and held their hand and that was documented and that's I think that's why she became one of the ways she became the Queen of Hearts. So that's one that part of which other counties can boast of having three prides. So we had Great Yarmouth had its pride a couple of weeks ago, which I took part in, which was really wonderful, all the way along the Golden Mile. Um, but um, Kingston and West Norfolk Pride, their flag, actually, if you have a look at it, has got Lord Nelson on. Now, I'm not going to out Lord Nelson. I think Kingston and West Norfolk Pride would have done that. So um, I think the connotation is to Kiss Me Hardy and... The fact that he was at sea for months and months and months on end probably suggests that he might have had a homosexual experience. 
So, um, what, have you got anything on West Norfolk? Well, uh, I was going to go down towards uh, this, if that's okay. But I was going to sort of beg your pardon. I was going to actually cross the border very temporarily. <gasps> I know, I know, it is awful. Um, for the first mention that I've been able to find in um, a newspaper of a what we would now call sort of uh, gay sex. And the, that dates back to uh, 16th of October, 1730. All of these newspaper reports, by the way, are available online on a marvellous resource called Homosexuality in 18th Century England, put together by Richter Norton. And if anybody ever saw Mother Clapp's Molly House on the stage or has read the book, that's him. He's the guy who's done all this research into 18th century homosexuality. So here we go. This is from uh, the Daily Journal for the 16th of October, 1730. Very brief, quick mention. We hear from Woodbridge in Suffolk that one clerk, a victualler, was to stand in the pillory there this day for an attempt to commit sodomy. End of. That's it. 1730. Then we move to this. And um, this is something that I came across a few years ago, actually. I thought it was quite a moving tale. It's about a tailor um, who lived in Dis, uh, who fell in love with his lodger, and his lodger fell in love with a woman, and you'll hear what happened after that. Um, Saturday, 27th of March, 1742, and this is drawn from the Newcastle Courant. So it was obviously being reported um, more broadly, nationwide. At the Assizes at Thetford in Norfolk, the following persons received sentence of death, viz. Robert Carlton for sodomy with John Lincoln and also for murder and poisoning Mary Frost, spinster, by intermixing about a quarter of an ounce of mercury sublimate with some salt, which salt she eat with some boiled mutton for her dinner. Carlton lived at Dis in Norfolk by trade a tailor, and Lincoln was his lodger and lodged in his house a considerable time, lay with him, and slept with him, and was entirely kept by him. At length, Lincoln, growing weary of this way of life, made courtship to the above-mentioned Mary Frost, which at last was made known to Carlton, and Lincoln brought her two or three times to his house. Carlton grew angry at this, and often told Lincoln that if he brought his whores near him, he would do them some mischief or other, nay, swore he would poison them, and used all the means he could to dissuade him from matrimony in order to keep him to himself. But finding it to no purpose, he invited her one Sunday to his house to eat some victuals and be merry, which was on the 25th of November, at which time, having mixed the mercury sublimate with the salt, he put it on her plate and entreated her to eat heartily, which she accordingly did. About six hours after, she began to be sick and swelled very much. Her friends got assistance as soon as they could, blistered her and purged her, but to no purpose, for she died on the 17th. The circumstances were very strong against him, and he's to be hanged in chains at this aforesaid. So, you know, quite a sombre report we get there from 1742, but um, there were some others as well, and one of the most poignant uh, parts, I think, is where the Newcastle Coroner also later goes on to report, but before the execution, he sent for Lincoln, <coughs> the chief evidence against him, his former partner, and they drank two pints of ale together and parted friends. So... Although a terrible crime was committed, there's also that element of poignancy as well, the way in which they, the, 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 uh, the uh, tailor and his 
former lovers say goodbye to each other. So this was in this, in 1742. Mm. Um, then we also have a piece coming to Norwich in 1773, which was reported in a local paper. Two men went into a public house near Tombland and being in a room by themselves were detected and attempted to commit an unnatural crime. One made his escape. The neighbours soon assembled around the door, particularly the women, who seized the other and conducted him to the common pump where they gave him a severe ducking. Now that may sound a bit of a strange thing to do, but actually we have a lot of evidence in the 18th century of this happening around the Mollies in London as well. And very often, um, homosexuality in the 18th century was presented as being essentially misogynistic and uh, women were actually encouraged to sort of take revenge uh, on the, what was seen as the slight to their sex and uh, a lot of the time that involved taking one of the offenders and ritually sort of ducking them, I don't know if it's meant to be some ritual cleansing, um, under one of the local pumps. So it's really interesting that that doesn't just happen in uh, London, it's happening in Norwich in the 1770s as well. But it also tells us, of course, there's a, there is same-sex activity going on in Norwich in that time, in the 1770s, the last quarter of the 18th century. Mm. Well, you touched slightly on South Norfolk, and being in South Norfolk, we can't not mention <coughs> the Ancient House Museum. So the teenage history group there have done some wonderful things. Um, and they did, they actually, part of their thing, they did mention part of their display there at Ancient House Museum in Fairfax. So if anyone been, not been, you need to go if you haven't been. But the young people are actually going to come during Pride and um, they're going to the Queen's Castle. Um, and I think get, they might be coming here as well, but it's all in the Pride Guide anyway, so have a look in there. But um, they, they did a display of their own curating um, about Justin Fashion, all things queer in Norfolk, so that's another wonderful thing um, in South Norfolk as well. Um, we didn't really know whether to do this geographically or like by years, but I think we kind of tried to do it geographically. And um, there are a couple of things um, at West Norfolk that I didn't um, get in. So there's a place <laughs> in Wales next to the sea, there's the Three Horseshoes, which in 1989, the gay times, so there's a gay run mixed pub um, lunch is served popular with gay, lesbian, locals and visitors and it's four miles from Walsingham. Well, huh? Wareham. Ah, there we go then. Ah, oh, that's where it is in Wareham. So, and it says four miles from Walsingham. So the Walsingham thing, I think, has a connection with the centre group in Norwich who used to take an annual trip out to Walsingham. Um, the centre group, we've actually got part of our ephemera. Hopefully you'll get a chance to have a look at it. Um, so some from our donation stations, which is what this is to do with, and um, we've collected some wonderful ephemera. And this is the newsletter from Norwich Centre Group from 1976. So just talking about, um, well, you'll have a look and see. I don't want to give too much away there. But um, they, it wasn't just about, so you, you often think of... Um, homosexuality, you might think about going to pubs or cottaging and things like that, but there were lots of organised other groups that used to do other things. They um, organised a football match, the centre group did, between the UEA Gay Society and centre group in the 70s as well. If you've seen the Gay Times, it's on a, in our display on the Desire Love Identity. I think there's a picture there of, of one of the groups meeting there as well. So Walsingham, I think, was an annual Whitsuntide trip that um, quite a few of them used to go on. 
Um, let's see if there's anything else in West Norfolk before we turn to the West and South, aren't we? To start with. Um, MAP um, are now based. So MAP is a very important thing for young people now as well. So it's an advice um, and it, it's all over the county, whereas it's just within Norwich, Scottish Kings Lynn, Great Yarmouth. And although it's not historical, it's really important that young people, you know, know their history and things as well. So um, Kings Lynn, Nor Norfolk College of the Arts and Technology, um, which is the College of West Anglia, basically, was attended by um, Stephen Fry, and I believe he also went to Corston School as well. So I think he's probably one of our most notable, apart from Nelson, Stephen Fry is probably one of our most um, kind of notable people. And um, the gala at Lynn, which is a social support group within the community, so they used to meet at the Friends Meeting House as well. So I don't actually have a note of any cottages um, in West Norfolk at all. I'm sure so there must have been one. Yeah, I know more than one, I imagine. Um, so um, cottages, for those that don't know, would, would have been places that men would meet each other. Often it would have had to been um, toilets. Um, uh, well, it would have nearly always been toilets, and then we've got a, a real wonderful list of all of, all of the places that in Norwich that you could meet. And I think Norwich has been described as quite lively through the 60s, 70s, and the 80s, and their cottage headquarters was um, on the walk. So that was one of the one of the places people used to meet, and clubs and things as well. We'll be able to talk about those, I think. Um, would you say Blickling Hall and Elsham are more North Norfolk? Yes, I would. Yeah. Can't get my boundaries bad. Well, let's go. Let's go with the Berlin family, shall we? So Blickling Hall um, and Berlin's brother. So George, he was accused of sodomy and incest, and he was executed a few days before Anne Berlin was by Henry VIII, who brought in the <coughs> Act. So he was, uh, you know, the sodomy laws, and I think a lot of the criminal um, things that you have are based on that buggery act, aren't they? The kind of the um, criminal things. And unfortunately, a lot of the evidence we do have of the past, um, homosexual or gay relationships, will be, the only records we have will have been because it was a crime. And um, there's, you know, not everyday people wouldn't had um, anywhere to write anything down. Um, and often you might find something in stately homes where someone had written a diary perhaps, but um, everyday people, you'd have very little history apart from the criminal things, I think. Um, Aylsham as well. So I've got two stories of Aylsham, one from the 70s and one from the noughties of going to school in the 70s. So one male informant had a boyfriend all the way through high school in the 70s. Now, you wouldn't necessarily kind of expected that. Um, and, um, the, you know, there was... He, he preferred in the 70s that there were gay designated areas and it's not the same now when you go to a gay pub he thinks because now there's hen parties and things coming in he thinks it's easier for people it's not so easy for people now because they don't have gay designated areas and certainly the um, person I interviewed who we went to school in Elton in the noughties he was bullied at school but there's no way you even dream of having a boyfriend at school um, so he went to the loft, and this was quite recently, uh, well in the noughties, and it, you know, he would start dancing with a guy, 
and unfortunately the guy said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not gay. So, um, and he, the way he described it was he said, let's like Whitney Houston, I just want to dance with somebody who loves me. So, it, you know, and we know we've got Grindr and all of these wonderful online things, but for him that wasn't working. So that kind of scuppered my research a little bit, because I was thinking, oh, we're so much more progressive than we were in the 70s, but actually that particular case doesn't reflect what I was actually thinking. So um, that's a bit of a shame, really. Um, but it's really good that we do have inclusive spaces that everyone can go. But do, do we need these separate spaces? But that's, I think that's a talk for another day, isn't it? That's a good there's, argument. There's, there's a huge amount, and we'll, I think we'll touch on it. Um, Norwich, uh, increasingly, seems to have had a gay scene pretty early on. So I'm tempted. I was going to do Father Ignatius, but I'm tempted to do Shakespeare, actually. Yeah, do the Shakespeare. Do the Shakespeare. Really so, um, um, so do you want to say where it? Well, you say. I will. Yeah. We're actually on it. So it was literally. Is that the theatre over there? So Theatre Streets, which yeah. used to cut through here before the um, earlier library was built here in the early sixties. Um, the Shakespeare was situated on Theatre Street, and it was opened in eighteen twenty-two. Um, I think it was largely an independent house. I might be wrong. Um, until it was closed in 1960 and of course they had to close it to demolish it to make way for the library. Um, but what's really interesting is that, I mean, we know it was the first documented gay pub uh, in Norwich. We knew that it was that after 1945, but then I went to the Norfolk Record Office uh, a few months ago and I found that uh, I hit manna from heaven basically because uh, Vernon Dade, whose father Stanley was the last publican in charge of the pub from the, the 1931 until it closed in 1960, very kindly, has, has written uh, his own memoirs, which you can read, they're in the Norfolk Record Office, and, um, and he gives us a bit of a clue as to its history. So at one point he says, I never thought that the building was distinctive. It was certainly badly designed for comfort and movement. It was certainly distinctive with regard to the customers. It did not depend on family trade perhaps part of trade. <laughs> However, because of the nearby Theatre Royal, the pub was regarded as a theatrical pub from its inception in the same manner as many in London theatre land. This means that theatre-goers rush across the street to the pub during intervals. Also, stars of stage, screen and radio use the pub as a rendezvous. The publication The Stage is provided. I'm not quite sure why he uses present tense, but he does. The Shakespeare also was a popular gay venue probably because of an affinity with a certain artistic temperament. He, and he then tells us, okay, during the war, US 8th Army Air Force are here, they, they take over the pub for a while, but then he goes back further. He talks about the period before the war. I briefly mentioned the Shakespeare in a previous contribution, except the use by Americans was relatively extensive between 1941 to 1945. However, the pre-war situation was different. It was never a family pub whereby families arrived in groups, which was the style of most Norwich pubs at that time. It was frequented in the evenings, mainly in the smoke room. You came in, there were a couple of bars on either side, one of them was the smoke room, by the Norwich gay community who were closely watched by the police. So we're talking the late 1930s here. We used to be visited on Saturday nights by six-foot constables. Just think if only. <laughs> who towered above our customers and posed questions not then related to drugs. Then in the bar we tended to have young men who after a few pints would sing traditional pub songs. 
They could be suggestive, such as Eskimo Nell, old King Cole was a merry old soul, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. There was an old farmer who had a fine sow. Now, if anyone knows the lyrics of these, I'd love to know them. Um, and then he mentions the last one was often sung by a young, young Norwich man who we called Marley. He was well built, had an attractive personality and was a bricklayer. I have a photo of him working at the top of the new city hall. He then goes on to explain what happened to Marley in the war, which sadly wasn't a great war for him. Um, but, you know, I managed to find, probably find some photos as well, but these are the plans from 1896 when they added the new story onto the Shakespeare. Um, this, material, this material is all there, it's all available. But also, um, like Joe, I've had the opportunity, the privilege of speaking to Roger Smith, who is probably the one person in Norwich now who remembers going into the Shakespeare in the late 50s. And he said, I went in there and uh, I was quite a young, pretty young thing. And he mentioned sort of uh, older men being very polite, said bike and drinks. And, um, and just people being singing slightly risque songs, just like Vernon mentions in his memoirs. Usually by then Noel Coward songs or risque versions of Noel Coward songs. Can you be more risque? I don't know. But um, so, it's really interesting because we now know that Norwich had a gay scene 80 years ago. If it had a gay scene 80 years ago, it probably had a gay scene 90 years ago because that didn't just come from anywhere. So increasingly, one of the things that, that I think we're looking to do is to try and <coughs> say, well, when did Norwich's gay scene really get going? Was it after 1918? Did it start after the First World War? And if it did that, it would be very like a number of other places like Cambridge, which had the Sill and Sugarloaf pub, which is on the marketplace now, and is now Marks and Spencers. Um, the, places like Brighton that were already well developed and were frequented by sailors. And um, so there was, you know, Norwich wouldn't be too unusual if it was developing its own gay scene 80, 90 years ago. But it does mean, you know, we're one of the few places that can talk about that and can prove it as well. Mm. So it's something to be proud of, I think, this Pride season. Definitely. Um, I'm skip over to Great Yarmouth. So it just reminded me of another story. Of course, the railways must have been so important for people um, travelling from different places, uh, opportunities to meet different types of people. You can imagine living in rural Norfolk and not, you know, um, just not seeing anyone like yourself, knowing anyone who felt like yourself or anything like that. So the railways would have not only just brought you into the city. It, of Norwich, it would have then taken you to London and Manchester, and then you'd actually be able to see other people who might be feeling the, se the same way as you do. Um, I, the, the thing that reminded me that you were talking about <coughs> is to do with kind of throughout the, ter the turn of the century, really, um, and late 1800s. Um, it's a Gary Baldy in Great Yarmouth. Now, I knew it in the 80s as a nightclub, um, but prior to that, at the uh, Eight, late 1800s it was a men only hotel and they'd house up to 400 men and in the summer season they'd have 6,000 men just only men only staying at the Gary Baldy Hotel I want to see if I can find the quote from the Great Yard of Mercury um, which is the local kind of press there um, um, about the Gary Baldy so um, Estimating that 6,000 men stayed at the Gary during the season and they became renowned in their high spirits and sometimes rowdy behaviour 
men known as Garibaldi's Lambs, who were lively young men who devoted much of their time to charity and fundraising in Great Yarmouth. So I think there's probably a lot of investigation to do with the holiday industry and destinations and things. And the Garibaldi, that only just popped up actually yesterday. I was at a meeting. And um, hello, this is my granddaughter, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that came up in a meeting yesterday about the Gary Gold being a gentleman's come up. I need to find out more about this, but actually that's led me to a lot more. And about the tourist industry as well, where, well, you know, is it, is it holiday camps? There's so many different places we could possibly look at in Norfolk as well, um, going back at different times. But I definitely think the railways in this country were a massive had a massive impact on everybody and um, not not just financially for possibilities of work possibilities of transferring transferring Polari as well so the language of different people would have used that as a way of communication particularly in public places talking about the police and things and saying that, you know using the terminology that everyone would be able to pick up one word or two to think right okay we need to be careful or um, or not or just let's go and have a gin <laughs> from there. So I continue with my Great Yarmouth stuff as well. So obviously they had their first Pride, um, which was um, a couple of weeks ago. A lot of planning, I realised when I was talking, to, a lot of planning goes into a Pride, and I think they did really well for their first year. What well, didn't quite go as they planned, they wanted to keep it free. They did keep it free, but it meant that there, um, there wasn't a massive... Um, event after <coughs> the park, let's say, but it was still really wonderful. Um, we have a little bit of ephemera here from Great Yarmouth Borough Council. Have a look later on. But it's 1978, so I think you'll agree that looks like quite a nice holiday brochure at the top. I don't know if you can see it there, but have a look later. Um, those who haven't seen the collection or, or LGBT collection yet. So that was advertising Great Yarmouth holiday industry. And Great Yarmouth Borough Council were in uproar about this because uh, their actual wording on here is what sort of person are we going to attract? Um, and he uses the word poof in there as well. So I don't know if that's going to attract poofs or not, really. Uh, but normally you'd have, I suppose, a holiday brochure be a woman in a bikini. So you know, I don't really see why that makes a massive amount of difference. I'm going to trip up or knock something over. So that was, that was in the 70s um, in Great Yarmouth. So what kind of pretty hostile environment by the sounds of that compared even to the schools at Elsham we were talking about. Um, so what else can we say about Great Yarmouth Borough Council? They've actually turned around a lot in the last few years, obviously so that we can have the pride there as well. Um, Great Yarmouth Workhouse, I'm going to talk to a little bit about um, the textiles um, industry, well not the industry, the textiles museum really, the stuff in the museum that we have. So. Great Yarmouth Workhouse, which was built in 1838 on Northgate Street in Great Yarmouth, uh, Lorena Bulwer was placed in the workhouse aged 55. And she met, and uh, uh, by her brother, her parents had died, and she was admitted there with mental ill health. Um, and she made hundreds and well, uh, words, hundreds and hundreds of words, text, isn't it, I think. Um, and she 12 feet, 14 feet long samplers that she'd stitched by hand, all different wording. And um, a lot of it is, um, well, do you want to take over on this one? Because I think you're yeah. the expert. So Ruth's our expert in the um, kind of costume and textiles. And I 
think you'll best take centre stage for this one. Yes, well, this is uh, just one picture of a part of the Lavina Bowl, one of her embroidered letters or samplers. And um, it's at the top here where she says uh, that she was examined and found to be a properly shaped female, which has obviously got us thinking why is there a question mark over whether she's a properly shaped female or not. Um, the text is very dense and it's yeah. very kind of, you know, it's difficult to kind of really get a handle on quite what she's talking about. It's a real long stream of consciousness where she changes subjects a lot. Um, but if anyone is interested in looking through the rest of the text and giving a, a different perspective on this, I'd be really keen to find out. She was experiencing mental ill health, so um, obviously, again, this, this kind of comes in terms of the language and how we can try and, and get ourselves into her reality. But if anyone wants to, to talk to me about her or have a read of her work, then please, I'll be hanging around a bit at the end. Mm. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you explained a bit of my bit. Um, you know, it's kind of thinking, it raises questions about her sexuality or her gender or you know, raising questions to herself about that as well. Um, do you have anything more about Great Yarmouth? Not particularly Great Yarmouth. I was going to go up to Sheringham. Oh, yeah, well, Ma uh, just to let you know, there are a couple of cottages that I know of in Great Yarmouth mm -hmm. as well. So Market Gates Toilets, um, both men and women, I've got wonderful tiling on there if you ever go into the toilet underneath Market Gates, fantastic tiling. And I believe there's also a cottage along the... Um, on Great Yarmouth Seafront on the north end, so on North Dean's Road, there was a cottage there as well. They're the only kind of two that I know of at the moment. I'm sure there's hundreds more. I think they're my last bits on Great Yarmouth, but yeah, let's go, let's go sharing them. Sure. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that was also sort of really interesting doing some of the um, recorded interviews that we've done recently is uh, you get a couple of themes that just come out with several people and then you start thinking, ah, well this is actually sort of a major theme because a lot of people are talking about it. And um, it was quite timely as well because uh, starting these interviews last year because of course there'd been um, debate in the news about uh, Ralph Ketton Kramer, uh, or Kramer, never quite work out how to pronounce it, uh, who was the final um, squire of uh, Felbrick Hall, who died in 1969. It was a famous no uh, Norfolk historian, wrote some great works around Norfolk and the Civil War, um, and the history of Felbrick itself, which is a National Trust classic. Um, and uh, he left the house to the National Trust, and he was a bachelor. His brother died in uh, service in Crete in 1942. Um, and uh, so, you know, last year, uh, much to the controversy I know locally, um, there was, uh, he was effectively outed as a gay man. Um, and um, what was really interesting was that some of the conversations that I was having were also referring to uh, Tom Upchurn and Douglas Fitzpatrick, who lived at Sheringham Hall, not too far away, only a few miles from Felbrigg, from the 1930s until the mid-1980s. Um, and uh, Tom Upcher was a descendant of the Upchers who'd owned Sheringham Hall since 1811, uh, originally from the Ormsby area and prior to that in West uh, Suffolk, going back to the 17th century. And um, the hall was designed originally by Humphrey Repton, uh, who worked on the gardens. The hall itself designed by John A.D. Repton, his son. Um, Tom uh, well, essentially grew up in the 30s and um, from that time on we have a number of letters where he goes abroad, he's on the Grand Tour in Europe uh, with a friend of his called Douglas Fitzpatrick 
um, who lived at uh, Bradfield Hall, I think it is, near North Walsham. Um, not really sure how they met, but uh, from that time on, they became effectively inseparable. And when Tom um, inherited the hall on the death of his father, Sir Henry Upcher, in 1954, uh, Douglas moved in there with him, and they lived there for over 30 years. Um, I should say that, that Tom also completed Humphrey Repton's plans for the uh, park by putting the temple in the park in 1975, 160 years after it was originally envisaged. Um, and people were remembering when they were talking to me some of the parties they used to throw in the 50s and 60s which brought together, and it sounded like they were wonderful hosts because they would bring together local Norwich lads and they would bring together the local gentry and they'd bring together retired military folk and they'd bring together vicars, they'd bring together the Coldstream Guards, which you would do anyway, of course. From hot the Hot Stream Guards, <laughs> precisely, the Hot Stream Guards. Yes. I went to one of I know. <laughs> Might come back to that. <laughs> and it sounded like they were incredible parties, you know, and as, as Roger knows and, and can attest. And, but what also struck me was they were remembered as a very kind couple who would do anything to help people and give ordinary people, ordinary lads, working class lads, a start in life. And I think somebody mentioned to me there was somebody that uh, Tom, I think it was, met on the Norwich to London train, or London to Norwich train, uh, who was working in the buffet car, and he actually gave him a start in commercial life, and he went on to become very successful commercially. So they remembered with great fondness. What I really loved was going to the record office, because his letters are there, and he saved several from Douglas. And what's really interesting when we're talking about history is the different language used, the way they speak to each other in 1940, and then in the second letter from 1980. So I'm the letters are short, I'll just read them out to you. This is the one dated the 7th of uh, June 1940. And sometimes it's a bit sort of, you know, it's, it's chatty, but it also tells you about what was going on at the start of the war in, in the area. Um, My dear Tom, I was very sorry to hear about what's happening at Sheringham. It must be a great blow to your papa about the trees that you... Um, uh, that you greatly value. Why they should all be destroyed, I don't understand. I do hope it's for some reason, and not just some harebrained scheme that will never be put into operation, like such uh, things are liable to turn out to be. So we're thinking maybe something to do with the war, the people were billeted at the hall. I think it's uh, a very good plan for um, them, your parents, to come to Bradfield. Uh, we are very fortunate to have two more homes. Uh, you've heard no rumours about Bradfield being commandeered, question mark. I wish I was quite, uh, wasn't quite so out of touch. So he goes on to tell you about, goes to talk about his roles and his Rolls Royce. They need to take the supercharger out before they commandeer it because otherwise it won't work, work properly. It's a great lifestyle, really. Um, and then he goes on, you know, and, and the letter continues and he finishes, he just says all the best, D. And then, in 1980, 40 years later, there's a wonderful little note from Weselbrunn or Weselbrunn, Zelsey in uh, Switzerland, where uh, Douglas is staying for some reason, possibly to do his um, holiday. 8:15 a.m. Good morning. I'm just writing you a note while the kettle is boiling to tell you it is pouring with rain. There is nothing very interesting in that, except that it has done that just about every day since I left England. 
October has always been a reliable dry sunny <coughs> month. At least the last 72 ones that I've been through have. This 73rd one is just being awkward. It leaves off for a couple of hours now and then, which enables me to get a walk, thank the Lord. I bought an English newspaper yesterday, the first since I left. He goes on and talks a bit about his friends. I address postage to Sheringham Hall, Sheringham now. I can't remember all that numbering he means, postcards, uh, postcodes, uh, nonsense we're supposed to do. And I don't want them to say they couldn't deliver because there was nothing to say where Sheringham Hall was. <laughs> ha ha. Love, Douglas. And then critically at the end, and to Jose. But he, you know, in the first one, it's all the best. Maybe he's worried the censor's going to open the mail. Maybe they're worried about something becoming known about the relationship they don't want known. By 1980, it's just love. And I think that's very poignant as well. And um, they were clearly a very devoted couple and very keen to do whatever they could for, for people. But I think there's also an interesting question, which is, they're alive at the same time as Ralph, Ralph Kett and Creamer just up the road. And they also know other members of the gentry across North Norfolk. So they must... What conversations did they have? Did we have a North Norfolk kind of, you know, informal aristocratic gay mafia at some point in the middle of the 20th century? Is an interesting question there. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever fully know, but I'd be surprised if they didn't know Ralph and they weren't sort of fairly good contact with him. You know, I don't know if we'll ever be able to, uh, to prove that, but it's, it's, uh, they seem to be, I think it's well worth remembering them and the contribution they made in their time as well to, to the community and to those around them. Mm. What about the women? That's what I say. Yeah. So uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a female pirate now. So um, I do. We've all heard of John Rackham, also known as Calico Jack. <coughs> he had two female pirates on his ship, Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Um, Mary came from the UK. Don't know where, um, but she had to impersonate from a very young age, being a male, to gain employment. Um, so she'd, she'd work on the ships and things like that, but she became a pirate. And the Norfolk link to this is in Hayden. Has anyone been to the Earl Arms in Hayden before? Well, on the wall, they have a wooden bust of a female pirate, and they used to frighten off the other sailors because they used to have their breasts on show. So, yay to the women. <laughs> um, it's often a lot of our histories are very um, male dominated because it was illegal for men it wasn't illegal for women so a lot uh, you know a lot of the histories have been kept secret so now that we're able to talk about it thank goodness we are we're in this climate that we can all, all talk about this now so um, often the the female stories get left behind but I know we have a group of North Norfolk lesbians as well now and lots of um, other kind of inclusive groups um, for all, well, the uh, Norfolk LGBT Plus project. It's wonderful, all these different projects I think that we have around Norfolk. I'm just double checking, I haven't got any more things from there. Uh, so, Chroma as well, I don't think you mentioned um, Oscar Wilde. So, apparently, he wrote A Woman of No Importance uh, from a farmhouse in Felbrigg. Did you know about that? And we've got, um, we've got Salome here. David Shenton's version of Salome, in a graphic novel form, so it's the words, but um, a different kind of take on it. So have a look at that when we're, when we're done from there as well. So that's those ones. What other things can we see? Should we get right stuck into the Norwich stuff now? Yeah, can you? And I don't know if people also might want to sort of share some other thoughts as well. Yeah. Like the there's any stories anyone else wants to so I know there's a couple of things I missed out from Great Yarmouth. Um, 
which is the different pubs and things there, which is obviously Kings, and now we have Key Pride in Great Yarmouth as well. Um, Allen's Bar used to be one. There's another place that changed names quite a lot. I think it was called Dick Van Dykes, and it was called Oxygen. And um, they had a... Uh, what was the, the contest called? The... Um, I'm going to have to look through my notes a bit better, but they had, it's a it's kind of like competition for the best gay macho man. Oh, Come on. Not Mr. Gay UK. <laughs> it is, it was called something else at that time, but that was held at Oxygen, and a, and a local a local bricklayer was um, was up for that. So that was Oxygen, but I think it's the same place, and it's also called Jester's in Great Yarmouth as well, so the same place kept kind of reinventing itself as businesses do, but it's always been known over the, I don't know, 10, 20 years as a place that was safe for gay people to go to. But um, that sounds quite interesting, doesn't it, that, that kind of night there. But um, keeping away from, I'm going to talk, we've got so many bars to talk about in Norwich, I'm going to want to talk about bookshops as well, because that was really an important part, we didn't have the internet. Um, gay Times, Gay News, all the gay press. How would how would you have got hold of that? Because you know it was illegal. There weren't many shops um, that stopped it. Um, gay venues would have that stopped it. So you might have sat in a, a gay pub somewhere and just gone through all the pages like the Bible. You know, see what's happening elsewhere. Printed document. You know, printed material was really king at the time. There would have been not many other ways to get information. Cottages were a good source of information for people. And um, one of my informants, when they first came to Norwich on the first day, went round to all the different gents' toilets. Um, I, you know, networking, um, and, but learn, you know, learning about what, what, where is it safe? You know, are there safe places I can go to? Where's the best places to go to? Who can I meet? And that kind of thing. A lot, a lot of other people wouldn't have used cottages necessarily and, and didn't want to use cottages but and so they had to you know they would have used the press so there's a bookshop facing um what's now the museum of norwich so the um, bridewell museum which was called bristow's i don't know if anyone remembers that at all the um, bookshop there well they they supplied um they supplied Gay News and Gay Times and all of those and actually got raided by the police and shut down by the police as well um, and in the end, because other people were, there was a couple of other places in Norwich that were stopping it, one of them was um, on the corner of King Street and Rose Lane, that changed names a couple of times, so that was another place later on there was a bookshop on Unpank Road as well that stopped it, but I think most people probably would have gone to mail order if you know, if you were in a, a, a property where you didn't care that pe people were seeing coming through the post, because obviously some some people were married, but also having extramarital um, relationships with someone else from a different gender, so they wouldn't have necessarily wanted stuff coming through the post. So it was really important to have this. But um, Bristow is actually shut down in the end because I think uh, Norwich was quite a kind of a hippie kind of city. So mm -hmm. to have something like that wouldn't have been that unusual to stop it but it apparently it, um, it, it, it just in the end said I'm not going to I'm not going to kind of carry on keep you keep raiding me and everything and he shut down but um, his son and um, the book, bookshop keeper's son is now a famous author um, well he's a an author of graphic novels and his, his first name is China I'm just trying to find his actual name but it's China I don't know a lot about graphic novels. That's it. That's it. China Melbourne. So, um, you know, we've got some wonderful things that have come out.
Uh, do you, should we go? Should we go alphabetically well, around Norwich now? Oh, we could, but I was just going to say. I mean, also we've just talked about the media, and of course, in 1992, because I remember being, uh, even though I was a sixth form, I was connected in '91. CBA Gay Sock. I used to go up there to see uh, what was going on. And famously, in uh, I think it was April '92, there was a demonstration outside EDP headquarters because the Eastern Daily Press refused to accept uh, gay. Um, or same-sex um, contact ads at that time, and that was a policy that had gone on for decades. Mm. But it changed, like so many things in the 90s, and and that demonstration I think also had a key part to play in changing the way the EDP actually started to reflect local and um, LGBT events, and, yeah. and now does so avidly. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think another thing mentioning the UEA as well, their gay sort or. Um, LNG Society over the years from the early 70s have, um, on Armistice Day have laid a wreath um, on the wall memorial just outside City Hall there with a pink triangle on it. The first time they attempted to do that um, it was thrown from its place um, across, tried to be thrown across um, into the marketplace uh, though I didn't quite get there so the, the, the people that put it there which were the gay sock and the student union tried to um, put it back and it did stay there but then the next day it was gone and um, an informant from 1989 who was part of the L&G Society as it was called then the same thing, um, similar thing happened I don't think it was thrown, it was, they let them place it there but um, the next day when they went it had gone <coughs> so the big triangle obviously um, it's, a, it's the symbol that was used um, during the Holocaust for um, homosexual men. Um, so, and they're, they're the ones that had been forgotten, and still, not many people still know that that is the case. Um, so, the pink triangle, that was why they thought, actually, let's not leave these out of our, our commemorations. We now have Holocaust Day, of course, so um, it doesn't like in the lowest all, but um, you know, at least we have these kind of days. <coughs> so that's another link. We've got a couple of things from the UEA. I'm going to start. Is it your side or my side? Uh, I don't know. No. So there are a couple of things from the, from the UEA. Oh, there we go. Look at this. A freshers' guide. So this is quite a few. That's like 15, 16 years ago. Isn't that lovely? So a freshers guide, and you see it's quite kind of LGBT kind of included. It's a freshers guide, LGBT guide for people, which is amazing. And they have their own queer review now. So this is the third copy, um, and that's what they're kind of um, processing now. Um, other things to do with Norwich, of course, the Five Canaries. And um, hope you've all heard about those. So that's a newspaper clipping from there. And um, it started with Guy Cunningham and a group of other people. Um, Justin Fashionu, obviously, if, if, if you don't know, who is the only Premier League footballer to ever come out as gay. Unfortunately, it ended in suicide. Whoops. Um, his, his own brother um, offered to pay him thousands, tens of thousands of pounds not to come out. Um, but um, he did come out, it did end in suicide. But um, we've got this connection um, now with that, and we're very, we're one of the first um, professional football clubs that have their own fan, LGBT fan group. And um, they're also part of football versus um, homophobia, so they've got their scarves that have been knitted to do with football against homophobia. These are all, you know, connected together, really. Um, just trying to think of anything else. 
do the ephemeral, we can say sing with pride. So um, a local LGBT singing group who are all are wonderful. That woke you up, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it used it was it was known before as Angels Chorus. This is one of our donations, so thank you. For the Angels Chorus. Oh, Angels, not Angels. Angels yeah. Yeah, Angels, not Angels. The L's in the wrong position. <laughs> so, um, and this is one of the, these are all the things that have been donated. We're so lucky. So the thanks to the donation station and all the wonderful people that have donated, we did only have one box of items of LGBT history. Um, but now we've got this and much, 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 much more. And there will be an opportunity at the end to look at that. And I think the, um, I just want to say, I don't this is a fabulous place you were. I've never seen it before. 1983, the Gays and Film Weekend at Cinema City. Yeah. Um, 13th, 15th of May, 1983. You were new. Wow. Yeah, Cinema uh, City, I think it's always been an inclusive always been inclusive and they have their um film film weekends and things as well but they they often show some pretty good stuff i think so part of picture has cinemas um as well we should probably mention theaters as well shouldn't we theaters, so clubs, but I, I wonder how much time we've got left yeah, there's so much we could go through yeah we've got a clock up there we've got <laughs> yeah, a few we've got yeah we need to start finishing really but um, we, we have to really mention Nugent Monk who started the Mother Market Theatre um, he started it from his own house um, initially um, which is just around the corner just around the corner here um, on Ninham's Court so if you go past there um, in, and, and I think he used to have about 80 plus in the audience when he started off then he was at Music House Lane and then he um, managed to start up the Mother Market Theatre and the, t the people that have taken over, had taken over from him directly after that were uh, both homosexual men as well. Um, and as, you know, the, a massive <coughs> contribution, I think, was made to Norwich through the theatre, and, and it's, it's thanks to that. And I think that they gave their life to the theatre, but all, but all three of them, the two you know, that were running it after, and Nugent Monk himself. I found, like you, I found some letters at the record office from Nugent Monk, and I thought, this will be amazing. We're going to come across something here that's going to be, you know, um, that I'm going to find about a love affair or something. Mm. Um, and so um, the envelopes were there in my hand. You kind of have this ribbon that you have to untie, untied it. Empty envelope. Next one. It's all handwritten. Empty envelope. They were all empty. So <laughs> it was so close to finding something amazing to read to you. So, but there's going to be all stuff like that in the record office. I know, um, and, you know, we've got the talk about Gentleman Jack soon. I know that I hope you, if you, um, you were able to come to that. We've also got, so talking, uh, we've got Jonathan Draper coming, haven't we? It's all in the Pride Guide anyway, but talking about the dispositions, which is the old kind of um, moral court that would have been held within the churches. Um, and that that's, you know, kind of pointing to the look. Again, it's all the... Um, the side. Yeah, the legal side of things, which is a bit of a shame, but they were kind of the only traces, I suppose. But I think it's worth mentioning, sort of, in, in terms of sort of the next steps. I mean, huge amount of work that they're doing to sort of gather now um, together with Rachel, and Chris, and other colleagues. Yeah. The um, you know the donation box is future, so yeah. there's there's a future reservoir of material here, yeah. there's stuff at the record office we talked about, yeah. also I think the interviews where we've been talking to people, we've been checking their permission to try and publish those yeah. and get those into places yeah. like record office as well, exactly. going forward for future use and reference, 
maybe a little publication on Norwich's gay history is called for because we've got so much stuff. Or oh, yeah. maybe a little arts project. Who knows? But there, there, I know there's stuff in the record office that hasn't been really discovered. There's a female's diaries, very similar in code in Norfolk Records Office that hasn't been deciphered yet. So if anyone's got their Alan Turing head, I've got his name in decoding. <laughs> um, if anyone's got their decoding head on and wants to go and, and decode those um, diaries, please do. Hopefully you'll come across something that won't be like my empty envelopes. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> But um, I'm there's so many places in Norwich we could have mentioned and should have mentioned. The Caribbean Club being one of the, probably the, the most ones, which was known as um, a community centre, really. And the one thing I've got, and I've recorded over 25 oral histories now, so thank you everyone who's con contributed to that. But um, from 60s, 70s and 80s, the one thing I, I can say is that um, Norfolk... Um, was known, or Norwich particularly, was known as perhaps the second at Norwich capital before Brighton became quite famous. It was really lively and well-known, inclusive, and Norwich has always been a welcoming city. I know there's a, a couple that moved from Ipswich to come and be here because there's a lot more going on. They felt safer here. Um, that, that was a number of years ago. And I hope we can continue to be inclusive. Um, and that I'm really there's so much more I can tell you maybe so many, for another day so many ways we could take the research I mean yeah. you know and looking at sort of mm. bisexual community transgender community there's probably huge there's amounts still that could stuff. yet we've be done we've got some stuff up, actually Poppy's, Poppy's poetry is up here today so um, have a look at that when you get the chance and we're also we both belong to the LGBT special interest group uh, within the Oral History Society yeah. which so is the a National, National Oral History Society has the special interest group of LGBT, so if anyone else is interested in that as well, um, please do let us know. But we're, I'm thinking of starting up, well, I'm going to start up, I'm going to do, I've made a commitment to myself now, I'm going to start up a Norfolk LGBT History Club, and that's for all ages, for everybody, young people. Chloe, you can come. <laughs> no, she's not interested. Um, but, um, I think that we, that I think there's definitely you know interest here, and all this wonderful ephemera that we're getting, it, there needs to be work done with it, and with people from the communities and, and groups um, that want to work with it. So please come now and have a look at all the lovely ephemera that we've got. And uh, thank you very much. <laughs>